Hi everyone, welcome to Life Church. My name is Sarah and I serve on our Kids Life team. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. When you walked into church today, you received a bulletin. On the inside of that bulletin is our connection card. If you would, go ahead and fill that card out with as much information as you're comfortable giving. At the bottom of your card is our Pray For One section. This is where we're writing down the names of people in our lives that could use some of God's love, as well as the prayer that we're praying every day that God would send us one person to share His love with. At Life Church, we know that God has placed unique gifts and abilities in each one of you. These gifts all point to the calling and purpose that God has for our lives. If you'd like to learn more about your unique gifts and how God wants to use them to show you your purpose, you can attend our Grow Sessions. Grow takes place the first two Sundays of every month at 10.30. You can sign up for our upcoming sessions on the back of your connection card. For more information about Grow, please visit our Welcome Center in the lobby and someone will be there to answer any questions that you may have. If you or somebody that you know has a little one that they would like to have dedicated, we'll be having baby dedications coming up on July 18th and 21st. To sign up, check the box on the back of your connection card. That's it for Life Church News. Enjoy the rest of your service. Church, how we doing? Good to see you. I'm back again. <laughs> well, happy July 4th weekend, and, and thank you for being here. I'm just so blessed that you guys are here hanging out and worshiping God with us today. And, and um, we're, we're continuing this series called Stand Up that Pastor Brian started. Um, and before we get into that, I just got a couple things I want to share with you. Um, we have a serve day here next Saturday, and we're gonna, we have about a dozen projects for widows and for some single moms and things like that. We get about, uh, I don't know, maybe 40 or 50 people signed up to help. And if you've signed up, we'll be contacting you this week. We're going to add you to a team and uh, uh, let you know about the details of the projects, but it's going to be a blessing. And we are so excited that you're participating in that. And then uh, I hope that you are uh, plugging into the daily devotional that Pastor Brian has done Monday. Monday through Friday, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a video, a little devotional he does for about three or four minutes, and then we read through a chapter of the New Testament. Our goal is to go through the New Testament in a year together, and um, if you haven't, uh, go on to your Play Store, Google Play, whatever it is, and, and download our app, which is Life Church Maine. And uh, uh, you can start by hitting daily devotions. It's in the middle there, and you can watch the video. And, and if you haven't never done it, or maybe you've uh, been you know, haven't done it for a few days, click on July 4th. Pastor Brian goes through, uh, we're finishing up Romans, and he goes through Romans 15, and he talks about something that's powerful, talking about the, 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 what Paul really talks about, mat Christian maturity, what it really is. And it's so good, so I'm not going to give it to you, but I want you to watch it and listen to it, check it out, because it is that good. And if you've never been to Grow, Grow is happening right after service here in our office, which is right here next to our building here at 10 o'clock. And, and Grow is where you get a chance to, to learn a little bit more about our church. Pastor Brian and Raquel are, are, will be doing that. And also to learn where you fit, where, you know, what you can do. You know, you're, you all have gifts and talents that God has given us, and he will he ask us to use those to benefit his church and his people. 
So if you haven't been to Grow, you can go right after service today and, and check that out. It's definitely worthwhile. So let's pray before we get started. <clears throat> Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Lord, we ask you that your word pierces our hearts and that we hear it in our eyes and ears and our hearts are opened to receive what you have for us today. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when Pastor Brian asked me, he said, Tom, you ready to get back on the horse? Because I had a knee surgery about six and a half weeks, weeks ago, knee replacement. And uh, I've had all kinds of new nicknames like uh, Captain Crutches and Gimpy Guy and all kinds of things. And everybody's been loving on me. It's okay. But, um, but he said, you know, we're doing this series called Stand Up. And I thought, geez, it's kind of ironic. Hopefully I can stand up for the message. <laughs> but as you can see, I'm kind of not yet. Um, <clears throat> But we're going through the book of Ruth, and it's such a great book. And, and I got to be honest with you, about 15 years ago, I, re, I made a commitment to start reading the Bible, and, and, and Pastor Brian encouraged me. And what I did, because I have, you know, I have ADD and ADHD and ABCD, I think I have them all, and, uh, and I have a hard time focusing. I mean, it's something I'm easily distracted, you know, shiny object, you know, and, and so I would read a whole page, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, what the heck did I read? Anybody else ever do that? And I have to go back and read it again. And I had to really discipline myself. And I didn't quit, though, and force myself in a, in a, to read and spend time reading God's Word. I didn't let that excuse stop me. And what I did, though, to be honest, was I started looking in the Bible for books that were short. You know, like Philemon and some other ones, you know, Contents. No, um, <laughs> I memorized that one. No. <laughs> and, uh, and, but, but Ruth was one of them. It was four chapters long, and it was pretty short. I was like, wow. I remember when I first read Ruth, I accomplished something. I read a book. And so we're going to, it's kind of, a, at least to me, it's kind of funny we're going through this because it was one of my first books that I read when I started reading the Bible. So we're, we're going to be talking mostly in the book of Ruth. And if you have your device or your Bible with you or one in the, um, in, in the chair in front of you, you can grab it. We're going to go read through chapter three of Ruth and we're going to have it on the screen. So don't worry, but I just wanted you to prepare if you'd like to follow along. And we're going to look at the three characters and we and Pastor Brian has done a great job the last two weeks kind of introducing us to these characters and showing some great principles. And if you weren't here for the last two weeks, go, please go online and watch those messages because they are awesome. You know, he's got a gift for Bible teaching. He's got a gift for taking God's word and showing it, bringing it out in real life application for you. You don't want to miss it. So this, um, so God shows us these, through these three characters, like Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, and through these stories, he gives us examples of what real relationships should be like in our lives. He shows us character traits that we want to look for in a mate, and also we want to strive to achieve ourselves in our relationships. And what's really important, he, he shows us what's really important in, in, in relationships. And yes, even a couple of dating tips, and I'll, I'll show you that. But I will do my best to bring you up to speed. Again, I can't really surmise the last couple of weeks, but what happens is there's, there's this family, and they're in Israel, Elimelech and Naomi. And they decide to move because there's opportunities in a foreign country called Moab. They decide to move, and uh, they do. And they, and, and they have two sons, and those two sons marry two gals. Uh, one is Oprah, and the other one is Ruth, okay? And tragedy strikes this family. Um, they, all the men in this family, the, the Elimelech, the husband, and uh, Naomi's husband, and the two sons, Ruth and Oprah's husbands, die, so these three gals are widows at this point. And then a famine hits the area, and, and, and Naomi finds out that there, there's better harvesting. The Lord has blessed the, 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 the land of Judah, she says, and, and, and back in where she was from in Bethlehem. So she makes the decision to go back to her homeland. 
because of an opportunity. Because without, and that, especially in that culture, the, uh, most of the, their women, most of their ability to survive was by being married and having a husband and be able to, uh, in that relationship. And, and, and a lot of those women, if they didn't have a, a, a land or didn't have a husband, would starve to death. It was a scary situation. So Ruth says she was going to go back. And, and Oprah and Naomi were, were sad. They didn't want to lose. They loved her. And she said, no, stay here in Moab because your friends, your family, your parents, all your, you remarry, start over again right here. And Oprah decides to stay, and Ruth says no, because she had become, uh, a, a, she converted to Judaism. She had become part of the faith. And she says this, this famous scripture we had from last week from Brian, he says, where, Ruth says this to Naomi, wherever you go, I will go. Whatever you, wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. She was no longer serving multiple gods of the Moabites. She was serving the one true God, the God of Israel. So Ruth and Naomi embark on this journey. And see, I think God told Ruth to stick with Naomi. See, she loved her. They were bonded because of the, the loss, the, the, the common losses they had of Naomi's husband and Ruth's husband, which was Naomi's son. They had this bond forged in, in loss. And Ruth believed, I think Ruth believed that she was called to stick with Naomi. That's why she says these words so powerful. And she also recognized that Naomi needed her. If you look at chapter one, Naomi said, when they got to Bethlehem, got back to the land, everybody came out, it was a small town. They came out and said, Naomi's back and they were excited to see her. Yay, Naomi. She says, don't call me Naomi. She says, call me Myra, I think is the name. And she says, that means bitter because the God has taken away my husband and my sons. And, and she was depressed and, and grieving and down on herself. So Ruth knew that she needed to stick with Naomi. She was called to. And she knew Naomi needed her. So Ruth, and then it goes on. It says, Ruth happens to be gleaning in a field um, belonging to Boaz. Boaz is that third character. Now, gleaning was basically the welfare sister that the Jewish people had. The gleaner, people who would glean, would, after all the harvesting was done, the gleaners would come and pick up the scraps, especially if they were foreigners. And Pastor Brian talked about that a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Now, Boaz was a wealthy, influential man and he was related to Naomi. So Boaz notices Ruth, right? And then he hears from his foreman, his, the leader of his crew, how, how Ruth had worked really hard and, very, and took very little breaks and gathered tons of grain and tons of, uh, uh, of different pieces, you know, of the harvest, leftovers. And he hears that and it touches him. She's a hard worker. Then he also heard the story of how she left the comforts of Moab and her parents and her family to be and to take a risk and go to Bethlehem with Naomi. And it touches him. The commitment to stick it out with someone she loved. So Boaz starts to take a stand, stands up for Ruth and also Naomi. He protects her by making sure that she doesn't glean in any other field because it was very dangerous for, um, for a foreigner to glean another field. They could be abused. And he knew that. And he, and he also talked to his guys, don't touch her. You know, Pastor Brian talked about that really well last couple of weeks. He also provides for her by letting her work with her other, the other women that are working in the fields and not having to wait till everybody leaves. He also lets her drink whenever she's thirsty. She also has her, she also has her sit with everybody after they're done harvesting and eat as much as she wanted and takes them back for Naomi. He's very generous to her. 
So Ruth goes back and gets home to Naomi and tells Naomi all the things, all the good things that had happened to her. And, and that she met this man and worked in this guy's field named Boaz. And Naomi recognizes the name Boaz. That's one of our relatives, she said. He is one of our family redeemers. And we were introduced to the idea of a family redeemer in chapter two. And what a redeemer is, is, is it a man in the Jewish custom that would rescue those in their family that were in need. If they maybe were impoverished or had a health issue or like Ruth and Naomi had lost their husbands. See, it wasn't like it is today. Like I own a piece of property and if I die, it goes right to my wife. That's not the way it worked in their time. It went kind of in limbo until somebody redeemed it. The only chance they had to be made whole was for a family redeemer to come and buy their land and potentially marry, uh, marry Ruth and, and, and make them whole to rescue them and to restore them. And in Leviticus 25, it talks about that and gives the rules for it and all that. It's kind of interesting. <clears throat> so let's take a look at chapter three and go through here a little bit of Ruth. And, and I, I'm gonna show you a couple things that jumped out at me when I was reading this, this short chapter, and it's pretty powerful. You can follow along on the, on the screens if you want. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. They're looking out for each other, right? Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with, the, with his young women. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. She gives her instructions. She says, take a bath, put on some perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. And Ruth responds, I will do everything that you say. She says that to Naomi. So she went to the threshing floor that night and followed all the instructions of her mother-in-law. And when I first read this, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, these two gals are conniving something. They're trying to manipulate Boaz. That was my first thought. I mean, what is this, a reality TV show? Is it the real housewives of Bethlehem or something? You know, you know, no, it's not. What it was is they were preparing. See, Boaz has already shown an interest. He noticed her. He started to hear the story. He started to bless her. He started to be generous to her. He started to provide and protect and all those things. He was interested. She realizes, Nomi realizes, and gives Ruth instructions to do what? to get prepared, get prepared. There's an old saying years ago, I learned in business that when opportunity and preparedness meet, there is success. And that's exactly what they were doing. And they give, they, and they give us a couple of dating tips and marriage tips in here. Take a bath. <laughs> I don't know about you, but you know, when you're first dating, you probably do some of these things, but, me, but I've talked to people that are single and they say, oh, I'm just waiting for God to bring the right person right to my door. I'm like, yeah, you're gonna be waiting a long time, bucko, you know? <laughs> and, and yes, God will provide this, but we have to do some work. It says it's impossible to please him without faith and faith without works, taking steps, action steps is dead. So we have to do our part. We gotta take a bath, <laughs> put on some perfume, you know, whatever it is. And, and Get ready to be noticed, right? And then when we get married, what do we do? We forget a lot of these things. It's so funny. I can be working outside and be all sweaty and a hot day, and I can come home and I want to, or come inside, and I want to kiss my wife. And what does she do? Ooh. Why? Because I stink. You know, sometimes I forget those things. Sometimes we forget those things. Those are little tips here. Just throw them right in the Bible. <laughs> Brush your teeth. Comb your hair. Make sure your clothes aren't wrinkled sometimes. Come on, guys. All right. 
have a little fun here for you, but let's keep on going. So, so after Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he laid down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth um, uh, came quietly, uncovered his feet and laid down. Talk about commitment. She lays down by his feet. Now, where do you think those feet have been? They weren't at the pe- getting a pedicure at the nails place, you know? I mean, they didn't smell like lavenders probably. Now that was a, that was some uh, kind of a, uh, uh, a ritual they would do to show interest to lay down. And, you know, that was some, one of the things they would do in their custom that Ruth was showing that she's interested in Boaz, right? <clears throat> so around midnight, Boaz um, suddenly woke up and turned over and he was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. And he says, who are you? I'm your servant, Ruth. She replied, spread the corner of your covering over me for you are my family redeemer. She's saying, I respect you. I trust you, Boaz. My fate, my life is in your hands. I submit to you. You are the rescuer. You're the redeemer. You are the restorer for my family. And what does Boaz says? He says this, the Lord bless you, my daughter. Boaz exclaimed, you are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. See, Ruth was young, probably a beautiful woman, and she was now available. She could have been on Christian Mingle. Or she could, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. It wasn't Christian back then, so he had a Jewish Mingle, I guess. But, uh, you know, <laughs> again, I'm having fun. But, um, but, she could have, but she could have been, she could have made herself available. But no, but why he says that is because her love for Naomi. Because if she would have found somebody else and got married, she would have been all set, but it would have left Naomi out to dry because the family redeemer would not only restore Ruth, but also Naomi. So she loved her that much that she was going to restrain herself, use self-control and wait for the right time. The God provision, the family redeemer to come her way. And he recognizes that and he sees that in her. And then he takes a stand for her. He says, now don't worry about a thing. My daughter, I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. Why? Because she was hardworking. She was honorable. She loved and committed and stuck with Naomi. And the way she handled herself, you can read in chapter two how she responds to Boaz when he starts blessing her and being generous. She says, why do I deserve this great love from you? Why do I deserve this from you? Thank you. I hope I can continue to please you. Tremendous humility in this young woman. He sees that. And later on in the Bible, you'll read in um, Gals, if you want to look at what a virtuous woman is, it's described in Proverbs 31. And it goes through a whole litany of things and how, it, how she brings value to her husband and how they, 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 they complement each other. There's so many great things in there and so, such a great description. And he, Boaz, sees that in this young woman, Ruth. But while it's true, he says that I am one of your family redeemers, there's another man who is more closely related to you than I. Stay here tonight and in the morning I will go talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. See, Boaz is a man of integrity. There wasn't a pecking order. There was a way to do things. He wasn't going to go around it. He was interested in Ruth. He loved her qualities, her characteristics, and she was probably not bad looking and all that good stuff, right? But he also didn't want to violate the order. He was a man of integrity. So Ruth lay down at Boaz's feet until morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman is here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley 
into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? And Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, he gave me six scoops of barley, she said, and then said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Listen to the generosity of Boaz. Then Naomi said to her, be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Oh, man, what a great, I'm going to tell you, there's so many nuggets in the chapters of Ruth that show you characteristics that we need to look for to become. And also maybe if we're single, I'm gonna have a little participation here. If our AV people can turn the house lights up for a minute. Thank you. Let's hear it for our AV team. These guys are rocking it today. Awesome. These guys got here, the guys and gals get here at seven in the morning with the band and they're here till noon. They make a commitment and they serve you. So they are awesome. If you see one of them, thank them today because they're doing this and honoring God and serving you. So how many here are married? Keep your hands up for a second. Look around. Look at all the married people. Woo, yes. Okay, you can put them down. Thank you. Now, how many people are single? Put your hands up. Don't be embarrassed. Okay, now don't look at, keep your hands up, single people. Okay, look straight, but then you can move your eyes. You can look around. Look around, look around. Look single people in the room. Oh, I didn't know he was single. Oh, oh. Matchmaking at Life Church. <laughs> You can turn those lights back down. Thank you. But, but speaking of a single person, I know one that's single right now. <laughs> and I have a personal goal to help him out. <laughs> I'm just having a little fun here, everybody. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing with a picture of me up there? <laughs> You'll see. Uh, I'll pay for that later. I know I will. But um, okay. So our culture, though, our culture tells us some opposite things, doesn't it? Our culture says, you know, go for the best looking one. The guy with the biggest biceps or the girl with the biggest blue eyes. It's a close one. Thank you, Jesus. Now, you you see the magazines. In the, in the grocery store, and they talk about it in social media, and they say, it's all about the looks, it's all about attraction. Now, I'm not saying attraction isn't important. I'm not saying that, but it's far from the most important characteristic in a mate. And real great relationships are a lot more than just the physical, the outward appearance. I was talking to a friend of mine just recently, a buddy of mine, and many years ago, he was getting ready to get married, and I, I could just sense something was wrong. And I said, man, are you sure? I mean, again, I just, it was really kind of a whirlwind, fast relationship, you know, and, and they were getting married. I'm like, oh my gosh. And he couldn't see anything. He could see her, but that's about all. And, uh, and I was like, man, I'm, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but I just got, you know, are you sure? And we talked and, and sure enough, they got married. And sure enough, a couple of years later, they were divorced. And he came back to me just recently. He said, man, you were right. And I was like, yeah, it's not about that. It's just, I just had this sense that God was saying something. And, and I felt bad because I'm like, who am I to you know, say this? You know? But I really felt God's spirit talking to me. And because all he could see was the outward appearance. All he could see was the beauty. He, didn't, he couldn't see some of the things that were missing. And he paid a price for that. See, the characteristics we, we see in Ruth and Boaz are these like honor and honesty integrity and respect, loyalty, generosity, obedience, humility, spiritual unity. 
They both were serving the one true God, the God of Israel. And that's probably one of the more important things if you that are single to look for in a mate is someone that loves God. You know, a divorce rate is what, 50% out there or more? I don't even know what the latest stats are, but it's high, isn't it? It's scary and it's so sad. But you know, I was reading in Marriage Today recently that couples that do these three things, the, the rate drops dramatically. Number one, they go to church together regularly. Number two, they pray together. And number three, they're in some form of Bible reading together or study or life group or something like that where they're interacting together with God's word. Do you realize that number goes down to less than 1%? Isn't that crazy? But isn't that powerful? Now, some of you are in a situation where you're married and your spouse doesn't do these things or not interested. I'm not saying dump them. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if you are in have the possibility of looking, if you're single, I saw a lot of hands, that spiritual unity is very, very important. And one of the most important things you will find that's in this chapter is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Ruth sacrificed. She took a risk to, to stay and to help and to be with Naomi. She was going to a foreign land, didn't know anybody. I mean, it was dangerous for her to do that because she loved Naomi. She didn't go out and find a guy, like I said, real quick, because she could, but she wanted to make sure Naomi was taken care of. She took some risks. She wouldn't approach Boaz. She took some risks. It was sacrifices that she made. Boaz did the same thing. He made a commitment to her. He, watched, he started to generously bless her. And he made a commitment to her. He went, if you read on in chapter four, he talks to the other family redeemer. And in a sense, he convinces the guy to let him do it, not him, not the... Uh, Boaz to, to redeem and not the original guy. It's kind of interesting. But he made a commitment, but he took some risks. He put himself out there. Yeah, sacrifices. Sacrifices mean suffering. Now, suffering's not a popular word to say, right? Nobody like, oh, I don't want to suffer. You know, we, don't want to deal, we don't want to talk about that, right? But suffering is a necessary characteristic in every relationship. Now, what do I mean by suffering? Not getting your way. That's what I mean. Part of suffering is not getting your way, not getting the things you want when you want it, not thinking of just yourself. You'll have to learn how to put other needs ahead of yours. That's the example that we see in Ruth and Boaz. We're going to see that over and over again in the relationships in the Bible. You'll see several of them like that. God shares a sacrificial love is one of the most important ingredients in a relationship, especially in marriage. Why? Because after the honeymoon stage is over, then you have the real work happens right in marriage. You have to learn to live together. You have to learn to continuously love each other. You have to learn sometimes to even like each other sometimes, right? Because it's not easy. It takes sacrifice and it will take some suffering. The number one, I think, killer of all relationships is this, selfishness. Because we all are selfish people. If you're honest with yourself, we all want things our way, when we want it, how we want it, do it our way. We are all selfish. We have a selfish, sinful nature that thinks about ourselves first. And the only way I've ever known to combat that is through Jesus Christ. He's the only one that's helped me overcome my selfishness. He's the only one that's helped me see things differently. He's the only one that's transformed my heart 
to be able to love the way he loves us. First Peter, uh, Peter said this in First Peter. He says, he says, for God called you to be good, even if it means suffering. He says, don't stop doing the right things, even if it is hard for you. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. We're, we're basing our life, Christians. We're basing our life on Christ's example, which means that we're going to have to not be first. We're going to have to take a seat in the back. We're going to have to give when we don't feel like it. We're going to have to suffer when, we, when it's hard to. Sacrificial love. Sacrificial and I was thinking of Ruth and Boaz and the story, and, and I was, you know, preparing this weekend a little bit, and it hit me hard. Of the example of my wife, Christine, and how an amazing woman she is. You know, I can't tell you that 30 years ago when we started dating, I didn't notice her. I was attracted to her. She's pretty. And I saw her at a computer class at USM, and I noticed uh, her and, and uh, I... I I felt the need that we needed to be study buddies. <laughs> I was like, man, she's gorgeous. But I learned, I really learned how to love someone else through being married to my wife. Because I had been in love. I thought I was in love before. I was really infatuated with other, there was a couple of gals that I really loved. I thought I did, but I was in lust. I wasn't in love. It had nothing to do. I can't even remember what their personalities were, but I remember what they looked like. So I, <laughs> Think about it, right? But it was more so than her looks, although they were, she's a very good looking woman. It was her smile and her calm demeanor. Because 30 years ago, I, mean, I was full of ambition. I had big dreams. I was gonna conquer the world. And, and, and you, you can imagine, you know, me times 10 or times 100 30 years ago. I have a lot of energy, yes, and ambition and drive. And, and she would listen to me. She would support me. She would dream big dreams with me and she would care for what I cared about. And we talked about having a family. We talked about all the things that we both wanted and, and be successful. But she had a great listening ear and she'd look in my eyes. She also showed me how to honor and respect others. Not just care about people, for what they could do for me, but care about them because who they were, to love them, to really love. I saw her love people that I said, why do you care? I didn't understand. I learned how to love because of the example my wife gave me. I also showed how, uh, she also showed me how she honored and loved her parents. I didn't really have a great example with my father. He wasn't around, so I really didn't know how to be a man. I didn't really know how to love the right way. And I'm not blaming him. It's just what it was. He was busy. He was always working and oh, whatever. It's not about that. It's about that. But that's what it was. I, and I saw her love her dad and how he loved her. And I was like, my gosh. I, I started to learn from watching her. I watched her to be generous to people in need. And I was like, why are you helping them? I mean, I was way farther than I am today. You know, I, I've grown a lot, but it took the relationship that I had with my lovely wife to see the example of her generosity to people. I watched her do the right thing when it would have been easier to do the wrong thing. I watched her have levels of integrity and her call me out 
when I was trying to cut corners and do stuff like that for me, it would bless me, it would benefit me in business or anything like that. She says, that's not right. I don't think that's not right. <laughs> but she was right. But I learned from that. I watched her discover Jesus and commit her life to him and watch her fall in love with the one who came and stood in our place and took away our sins and gave us a chance for eternal life. And we accepted Christ together in the same year. I watched her worship God in a way that I'd never seen before. I watched this intimate connection and I couldn't understand it because, you know, we'd pray together and she'd worship and I kind of have one eye open watching her because I like, okay, that's what you do next. Okay, I'm gonna raise my hands. I'm, you know, is there a stick up here or what? And I had no idea what was going on. Like we, we, we bounced around to different churches and about 20 years ago, we found this place. And, and, but I watched her worship God and I watched her worship him and commit to reading the Bible and spending time with it, even when she didn't feel like it. And it motivated me. It, she pushed me to be a better man. She pushed me to do the right things in life. I watched her become oh, an amazing mother and raise our three children with the values that, is, that we have desired and we wanted to instill. And I watched her love on them and teach them and be an example to those children. And they've grown up to be great kids. They love and respect others and they serve and they give. I mean, one's a missionary, one's getting married and they go to church and I'm just so blown away. And a lot of that had to do with her. A lot of that had to do with her and her example. I watched her take a job when we were desperate. She had been a stay-at-home mom for 15 years and I was struggling. We had, I had made some bad decisions and businesses and economy and all kinds of things. And we were losing just about everything. And I was desperate. I was working nights and days. And I was doing anything I could. And we weren't making it. And she said, I'll go get a job. And it just hurt my heart. But I watched her go back to the workforce. And not only work hard, but succeed and get promoted. And she's done so well in her profession today. And I'm so blessed. She, she's such a winner. And I watched that. What a great example for me. She didn't give up on us. She didn't give up on our family when our finances were down. I watched her not talk back to me when she probably should have cuffed me in the face. I got to be honest. I, I, you know, I, I'm very, I'm very um, comfortable talking, as you can tell. But sometimes that can be a detriment in a relationship. And I would say things that hurt her. I know I hurt her soul. I was so mean and such a jerk. And she would love me anyway. I watched her stick it out with me. When about maybe about eight years ago, I thought we were done. We both were done. We thought, this stinks, man. I don't love you. I don't love you either. And we, we, I watched her stick it out and do what God. Now, that doesn't mean she didn't make mistakes, and I did too. And none of that. I'm not talking about that. We made some poor choices along. None of us are perfect, including her. But I watched her make a decision when it would have been so much easier. I mean, the grass was so much greener on the other side. So it seemed. But I watched her take a stand and say, no, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to stick it out with him. watched her put God first and do what God wants in our relationship and our marriage. I watched her in her way fight for our marriage instead 
instead of fighting in our marriage. I watched her decide to fall back in love with me. We were just at a a meeting a couple weeks ago with a a new ministry, Re-Engage. It's called, it's a marriage ministry we're launching here in a couple weeks because we so desperately need it in our church. And it'll be on Sunday nights. And whether you need a tune-up or you're in turmoil, you can plug in and get blessed. And I watched her say in front of a group of people as we shared some of our testimony, look at me with those beautiful eyes and say, I want you to know I really love this man. I, I, I didn't know what, I couldn't say anything. It just, my heart just opened up because that wasn't the case years ago. I watched her decide to love me again, to fall in love with me again. Because I'm going to tell you this, folks, real love is not a, just a feeling. It's not just an attraction. No, it's a commitment. You decide, you make a decision who you're going to love. You're going to, sorry, you're going to decide who you're going to love. You can, I can put you in any, almost any circumstances, and you can probably fall in love with somebody. Mm, because you decide to do it, and I watched her do that. And she said yes to me, yes to God at the same time, to keep our family together. I watched over the years how she's become an amazing, loving, giving, and serving wife. She's more. She's more than I ever dreamed of. She's my gift from God. And until the day I die, I will serve her. I will give to her. I will sacrifice for her. I will suffer for her. And I will love her with all my heart. Does Does that mean that 29 years ago when we got married, the things have been perfect. No, we've had some really tough times. But I'm telling you right now, I know now what real love is. I know now what it means to love somebody with all my heart. I never knew that before. And I watched my wife show me over and over again through her struggles, through her challenges, through her giving, through her commitment to stick with me, just like Ruth stuck with Naomi. And maybe that's not your story. Maybe you are divorced, and I can't change the past, neither can you. I don't know. But there's some of you here that are married that are struggling right now. You know that, man, oh, oh man, he is such a dub. <laughs> I just don't want to stick with him. I, I get it. I understand. I want to encourage you to hang on. I want to encourage you. And that doesn't mean that you take abuse. That doesn't mean that you, you, you know, just get beat up. We're like, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. Necessary changes have to happen. Both husband and wife, you have to give up some things. Maybe it's some things you really love. I had to sacrifice and give up some things for my wife. And she for me. But it's so worth it today. We have an amazing relationship. I love this one. We, we have so much fun together. We tease each other, we, but we have fun and we laugh. We, and we never did that for years. We were roommates for years. We didn't understand what it meant to love. And now I do. I'm so blessed. So if you're married and you're struggling, and all of you probably gone through it at one point, I want to encourage you to get some help with Pastor Brian and myself. There's a bunch of people on our, our pastoral staff and our marriage team. Our marriage ministry, our leadership has over 100 years of marriage experience. If we haven't seen it, we've probably done it. It's amazing. All that wisdom is available for you for free. 
and we'll help you. We'll sit with you. We'll have a coffee with you. We'll spend some time. We'll maybe give you some advice. Don't give up. Don't give up. And for so, and those of you that are single, maybe you're haven't haven't done things God's way. Maybe you did it kind of like backwards. I want to encourage you to look not just for the the biceps or whatever it is, to look for the characteristics that really matter. Does he or she love God? Are they going to stick it out when the going gets tough? You can see them. They're there. You can see those characteristics. We can bow our heads and close our eyes. Maybe as I was talking today, some of you are, like I said, in, the, in a spot, whether it's your marriage or you're single, and you want to make some changes. You want to do things God's way. You want to be blessed. God is a blesser. He's a rewarder. He wants to redeem you right now. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He takes away all of our sins. We've all fallen short. We've all made mistakes. We've all blown it. He already knows it. He's not surprised. But in a moment, in an instant, you can repent and be forgiven. That means turn away, not go the same direction. Turn and go a different direction. Come to him and say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. Wash me clean. Give me a fresh start today. And he will. He loves you that much. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, maybe, again, if you're a married couple and you're struggling or if you're a single person and you're, you know that maybe you haven't done things the way you should, and you know every head's bowed and every eye's closed, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand if that's you. I'm talking to you. There's a bunch of hands. Thank you. You can put them down. Let's pray for you. Dear God, thank you for the people that had the guts to say, I need to make a change. I need you to help me. I need your strength. I need your ability. To restrain myself maybe, to not do certain things and to do the things I need to do for my family or for my future husband or wife or for my current spouse. I need to make the changes in me. Lord Jesus, I want you to show them, the ones that raised their hands, or the ones that should have, what they need to do and give them the strength to come and get some help. And bless them in Jesus' name.